What's up, friends? Jake is back. Jake J. Thomas of Jake J. Thomas Photo. Becoming Shakespeare on Instagram. Why Shakespeare, you say? I say because I'm here to change the conversation. To the degree that I do that will be the degree that I succeed. More thoughtful, more courteous, more empathetic. That's the goal. Right now I'm reading... <clears throat> Shakespeare's sonnets I saw the announcement that Santa Cruz Shakespeare is going to be putting on Twelfth Night as well as The Tempest two very fun plays so I'm looking forward to uh, studying those also so that it'll be more fun to go to the plays here, let's just begin with the sonnets today, with sonnet number 16. But wherefore do not you a mightier way make war upon this bloody tyrant time, and fortify yourself in your decay with means more blessed than my barren rhyme? Now stand you on the top of happy hours, and many maiden gardens yet unset, with virtuous wish would bear your living flowers so should the lines of life that repair starting this one over sonnet 16 but wherefore do not you a mightier way make war upon this bloody tyrant time and fortify yourself in your decay with means more blessed than my barren rhyme now stand you at the top of happy hours and many maiden gardens yet unset with virtuous wish would bear your living flowers much liker than your painted counterfeit so should the lines of life that life repair which this time's pencil or my pupil pen, neither in inward worth nor outward fair, can make you live yourself in eyes of men. To give away yourself keeps yourself still, and you must live drawn by your own sweet skill. So this is the first part of the sonnet sequence where the voice of the poems is trying to talk the youth into having babies. <coughs> That's the general theme that goes on for quite some time. Uh, in this poem, you can see you know, there's all these different rhetorical strategies Shakespeare uses, different ways of trying to persuade the listener to follow suit. And so, you know, he's complimentary, you know, saying that there's many women who would bear your living flowers. Um, and this idea of lines of life this idea of reproducing being like art it's the parallel between art and life and, you know in the first quatrain when he says 
why don't you do something why don't you do something that's much more powerful in preserving your beauty against time than my writing of a baby then he goes on to say how many ladies are out there who are ready and willing and then you get the times pencil or my pupil pen so he's comparing his pen to times pencil phallic and that's just kind of a fun sonnet we're going to read it again for you sonnet 16 but wherefore do not you a mightier way make war upon this bloody tyrant time and fortify yourself in your decay with means more blessed than my barren rhyme now stand you at the top of happy hours and many maiden gardens yet unset with virtuous wish would bear your living flowers much liker than your painted counterfeit so should the lines of life that life repair which this time's pencil or my pupil pen neither in inward worth nor outward fair can make you live yourself in eyes of men to give away yourself keeps yourself still and you must live drawn by your own sweet skill all right sonnet 17 who Who will believe my verse in time to come if it were filled with your most high deserts? Though yet heaven knows it is but as a tomb which hides your life and shows not half your parts. If I could write the beauty of your eyes and in fresh numbers number all your graces, the age to come would say this poet lies such heavenly touches ne'er touched earthly faces. So should my papers, yellowed with their age, be scorned like old men of less truth than tongue, and your true rights be termed a poet's rage, in stretched meter of an antique song. But were some child of yours alive that time, you should live twice, in it and in my rhyme. Okay, so again, he's comparing the act of writing the existence of a portrait as a form of the preservation of the beauty of the person to the reproduction. But in this case, he's making the strong argument that the best thing to do is to have both. It's best to have some sort of reminder of the person and then someone to remember them. So the poem and then a descendant is the most powerful way to revive the memory of the person. And But he starts out with this kind of brilliant, um, self-deprecating, self-questioning assertion of the power of their beauty and the dis believability of it is that a word disbelievable 
unbelievability of it. <laughs> Hilarious, my friends, my friends. Sometimes words are weird. They get away from you. Changing the conversation. Sonnet 17. Who will believe my verse in time to come if it were filled with your most high deserts? Though yet heaven knows it is but as a tomb which hides your life and shows not half your parts. If I could write the beauty of your eyes and in fresh numbers number all your graces, the age to come would say, this poet lies. Such heavenly touches ne'er touch earthly faces. So should my papers, yellowed with their age, be scorned like old men of less truth than tongue, and your true rights be termed a poet's rage, and stretched meter of an antique song. But were some child of yours alive that time, you should live twice in it and in my rhyme. Sonnet 18 Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed. And every fair from fair sometime declines. By chance or nature's changing course and trimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade. Nor lose possession of that fair thou owest. Nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade. When in eternal lines to time thou growest. So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Very famous beginning of the poem here, shall I compare thee to, to a summer's day? And again, the use of metaphor to hyperbolize the beauty of the subject to say, you know, like the last point, he said, if I really was honest about how awesome you are, people wouldn't even believe it. But if you had a kid, they probably would, because the kid would recognize the virtues that you passed down in them in the poem. Now, in this one, he's saying, hey, should I compare you to a summer day? But hey, you're better. Ba-doom, ba-doom, ba-doom. And the, so now he's kind of shifted away from trying to get him to reproduce and now he's just praising homeboy sonnet 18 shall I compare thee to a summer's day thou art more lovely and more temperate rough winds do shake the darling buds of May and summer's lease hath all too short a date sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometime declines, 
by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest. Nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest. So, so long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Alright, Sonnet 19. Devouring time, blunt thou the lion's paws, and make the earth devour her own sweet brood. Pluck the keen teeth from the fierce tiger's jaws, and burn the long-lived phoenix in her blood. Make glad and sorry seasons as thou fleetest, and do whate'er thou wilt, swift-footed time, to the wide world and all her fading sweets. But I forbid thee one most heinous crime. O carve not with thy hours my love's fair brow, nor draw no lines there with thy antique pen. Him in thy course untainted do allow, for beauty's pattern to succeeding men. Yet do thy worst, old time, despite thy wrong. My love shall in my verse ever live young. Oh, okay, now he's challenging time, huh? He's getting a little uh, confident. Again, the personification of time as the life-giving, life-shaping, life-taking force. Natural force of creation and destruction against which the writer attempts to create some sort of defense in celebration of their love. Sonnet 19, devouring time, blunt thou the lion's paws, and make earth devour her own sweet brood, pluck the keen teeth from the fierce tiger's jaws, and burn the long-lived phoenix in her blood. Make glad and sorry seasons as thou fleetest, and do whate'er thou wilt a swift-footed time, to the wide world and all her fading sweets. But I forbid thee one most heinous crime, O carve not with thy hours my love's fair brow, nor draw no lines there with thine antique pen, him in thy course untainted do allow, for beauty's pattern to succeeding men. Yet do thy worst, old time, despite thy wrong, my love shall in my verse ever live young. Sonnet 20 A woman's face with nature's own hand painted. Hast thou the master mistress of my passion? A woman's gentle heart but not acquainted with shifting change as is false woman's fashion. An eye more bright than theirs, less false in rolling, 
gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. A man in hue, all hues in his controlling, which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, till nature, as she wrought thee, fell a doting, and by addition me of thee defeated, by adding one thing to my purpose nothing. But since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, mine be thy love, and thy love's use their treasure. This is the interesting moment in the sonnet cycle when the voice of the poem decides that though the subject of their admiration, their affection, their uh, enthrallment, their obsession, their passion is their love, is their is the beauty. They don't want to have sex with them because they got a dingling. <laughs> it's trying to be funny. It is funny. How can it not be funny? And by addition, me of thee defeated. By adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. But since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, mine be thy love and thy love's use their treasure funny 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 stuff okay sonnet 20 a woman's face with nature's own hand painted hast thou the master mistress of my passion a woman's gentle heart but not acquainted with shifting change as is false women's fashion and I more bright than theirs, less false and rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. A man in hues, all hues in his controlling, which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, till nature, as she wrought thee, fell a doting, and by addition me of thee defeated by adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. But since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, mine be thy love and thy love's use their treasure. Okay, so there's so much interesting stuff in this poem. You know, there's the gender bending gender adding gender sexual uh, frustration multiple multiplying desire <coughs> there's the idea of the trans man trans woman uh, what else nature again personified in this case personified as female making the subject a man for women's pleasure yep very interesting I'm more bright oh yeah and also I I think that the subject is a painter uh, when, because when he describes the subject as having an eye more bright than theirs, less false and rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. What does that mean? Gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. It's like coating the object 
in goodness, a man in hue, all hues in his controlling. So, a man of color, all colors, his controlling. Painter, which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazes. Either that or the painting is done by nature and is his face. Very good poem. I mean, obviously it's Shakespeare, but really enjoyed this first chunk of poems. And finish it out with one more reading of Sonnet 20. Sonnet 20. A woman's face with nature's own hand painted hast thou, the master mistress of my passion. A woman's gentle heart, but not acquainted with shifting change as is false women's fashion. An eye more bright than theirs, less false and rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. A man in hue, all hues in his controlling, which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, till nature, as she wrought thee, fell a-doting, and by addition of me thee defeated. And by addition, me of thee defeated, by adding one thing to my purpose, nothing. But sin since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, mine be thy love and thy love's use their treasure. One more time for the people in the back. Sonnet 20. A woman's face with nature's own hand painted hast thou. The master mistress of my passion. A woman's gentle heart, but not acquainted with shifting change as is false women's fashion. An eye more bright than theirs, less false in rolling, gilding the object whereupon it gazeth. A man in hue, all hues in his controlling which steals men's eyes and women's souls amazeth. And for a woman wert thou first created, till nature as she wrought thee fell a-doting, and by addition me of thee defeated, by adding one thing to my purpose nothing. But since she pricked thee out for women's pleasure, Mine be thy love, and thy love's use their treasure. So, Shakespeare here, signing out, baby, changing the conversation, trying to be a little bit more thoughtful, more compassionate, and using this noggin to unriddle some of the lines in these poems, warming up the... warming up the old brain-ski, my friends. No, I'm just kidding. But it, that's the goal. Change the conversation. Talk about things that are interesting that are not part of what's happening every single day. Give you a little escape. Give you a little bit of intellectual stimulation, hopefully. Maybe even inspire you. Go write a sonnet. Send it to me. At Becoming Shakespeare on Instagram. Until next time.
Jake J. Thomas, signing out. Peace.